Hi, and welcome to the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Manny Manuel. And I'm Sam Reimer. Hey, buddy, how's it going? It's going good. I, uh, I, I'm a little upset that we're not uh, doing a baseball podcast at all right now, because uh, <laughs> now would be a prime week to uh to get on it with uh, your red Sox taking on my blue jays sure would sure would and at this point in time it is currently one one in the series is it, it not it certainly is it certainly yeah, I, is i haven't gotten to catch either game but it's looked like it's uh it's been pretty close and uh granderson hit a big walk off the first game and yeah i wanted to throw up <laughs> i wanted to throw up i was uh, that I... just shows what a huge baseball fan you are is that you wanted to throw up like in april because of because of a game that the Red Sox lost yes. after going like 16 and two to start the season. Yes. Oh, and uh, of course the no hitter by Sean Manaya probably didn't feel too good. Oh yeah, thanks for the text about that. That was wicked. <laughs> yeah. What did I say again? I totally forget. Yeah. Hold on. I'll look it up. I'll look it up because uh, I wasn't uh, wasn't that happy. I was having a great day. I was having a great day that Saturday. Yeah. People are tuning in to listen to about movies, and we're just like, yeah, we're going to talk baseball for the first the first minute or so here. But, uh, it's an important week. It's an important oh, week. Here, quote, quote from Samuel. To be fair, uh, Manaya was only using a tactic that I've been promoting for years. Don't allow your opponent to get a hit. It's very difficult for your opponent to win. In that case, why doesn't every pitcher do that? Yeah, I've been I've been saying it for years. That's a very valid strategy that people should use. Yeah. Okay, we should probably get off baseball because everybody's tuned out now. Yeah, for the one All of, ten of them listening, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> uh, so this uh, this week we're going to talk again about what we've been watching. Sam and I have been watching a couple things. Uh, and then we're going to get into our top five MCU movies as we gear up for Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity War is coming out this weekend. Uh, the day we are recording this, that is Wednesday, April 25th. Uh, I guess the... Uh, I guess the midnight previews or the previews start tomorrow on the 26th. The official release date is the 27th. And uh, both Manny and I are going to be catching it at some point this weekend. I think you're, you're going tomorrow, right? Sure am. Yeah, and I think I'm, uh, I've yet to buy my tickets, but I'm hoping to get in at some point this, uh, this weekend. You, I'm, you I'm better. really hoping it is not sold out right through our next show, because otherwise we're going to need to come up with a new topic. <laughs> I know. We are going to be doing an, uh, an Infinity War review next week, so Sam better find a viewing uh, that he can get to. I'm going to buy tickets right after we're done today. <laughs> Perfect. I, I might buy it mid-show if you go on a rant. <laughs> As uh, if that would ever happen. I, I know, right? I'm always so quiet. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, why don't we get into what we've been watching. Sam, what have you been watching this week? Uh, well... For the most part, I have been watching uh, MCU uh, movies just, A, because of this show that we're doing, which is the top five MCU, uh, top five favorite MCU movies, uh, but I also want to prepare for Infinity War, of course. Uh, I won't get into exactly what movies I've been watching in that regard, just to avoid spoiling the list for later, but I have been watching some other stuff. Um, I do like watching uh, video essays about film, as I've mentioned before. Yes. There was a great one I watched this week by a guy I've mentioned before named Patrick H. Willems, who um, did the J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, video essay I mentioned a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, he, he released one this week. It's all, uh, like under 10 minutes long. It's called The Art of the PG-13 F-Bomb, and it's, uh, it's really good. It just uh, talks about, for, for those of you who don't know, the Motion Picture Association of America, uh, ranks movies that everyone's familiar with these rankings the pg pg-13 14a r etc and uh he one of the strangest things about these ratings is that pg-13 movies only get one usage of the word fuck they can only say fuck one time to get the pg-13 rating after that 
they are uh, there are with very very limited exceptions so he talks about the power that this rule gives the one fuck that a movie gets and the creative ways that they get to use it what character gets it and, it, and it's interesting uh, you look like you have something to say about that uh, it was actually it was just a, a little uh nugget of uh trivia about the pg about the ratings um yeah prior to uh 1984 there actually wasn't a pg-13 rating it was just pg right and uh i thought i knew what the first movie was to get the that created the pg-13 rating and i was right uh so what year sorry 1984 Hmm. Yeah, I. You, I don't know. I, I. I don't know if you've seen it because I think we uh, discussed. It. This is a film franchise. Uh, it's not like it's not like Back to the Future, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, this is a, a big film franchise. Um, yeah. An iconic role for the lead actor. Eighty-four. Yeah. Um, Terminator. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what year Terminator came out, but I, I don't know what it came out in eighty-four. Uh, this movie is about a, uh, kind of almost a swashbuckling adventure, adventurer. Swashbuckling adventurer? I don't know if you'd say swashbuckling. Anyways, he's an archaeologist. Oh. <laughs> Gee, I wonder. That'd be, uh, Mr. Indiana Jones, whose name was not in the title card of the, uh, movie upon its original release, if I remember correctly. Right? It was correct. just called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, but this, this wasn't Raiders. This oh, was, this was, was the second one. Temple of Doom? Yeah. Is that... Yeah, Temple of right. Doom was the first one that helped create the PG-13 rating. Right, okay. I went through just about every iconic uh, movie franchise of the 80s except that one. Yes. <laughs> just um, a little so, tidbit. I was just, uh, as soon as you started talking about the ratings, I'm like, hey, I think I'm right about that, so I wanted no, to check that out. No, that's a really interesting tidbit. But I, I really like uh, this, uh, this video essay I was talking about. Uh, he brings examples of uh, the usages of the word fuck in PG-13 movies like uh, catch me if you can. Uh, he touches on the one from Ready, Ready Player One that just came out, but doesn't spoil it for since it's still in theaters. Uh, he talks about my personal favorite usage of the PG-13 fuck of all time, and that's the one from Anchorman. Uh, Go fuck yourself, San Diego. I know you're not a Will Ferrell fan, but uh, I, I nope. fucking, I love that movie and I love that line. But it's a, uh, it's a good watch. It's only like seven minutes long, so it's, uh, it's worth just checking out briefly. It's pretty interesting. Um, well, you should, uh, you should send me the link. Uh, to it and then uh, we'll put it in our show notes for our listeners to check out yeah for sure i can absolutely do that um another one that i think you're going to be less enthusiastic about a video essay that i watched is actually one about uh, a channel that i watch about uh music and scoring music specifically this episode was about the movie score for uh the transformers franchise and uh <laughs> i know this is uh this is how much of film nerds uh we are but i know manny's uh <laughs> Man, he's giving me some very pissed off looks that I have to talk about Transformers, so I'll be brief. <laughs> Basically, it's just summarizing the uh, the movie scores for all five Transformers movies, talking about some of the different themes, how even in, uh, in a Transformers franchise that has some pretty good music, surprisingly, considering the content of the movies, it manages to even fuck that up in the later ones. So I thought that was very interesting, but I won't get uh, too in-depth into that. Um... Besides that, I've been watching uh, The Office, which is a fantastic show that I know Manny has not watched. Um, I'm in the middle of re-watching it. I've seen it, you know, several times all the way through. I've seen, you know, I used to watch episodes just as they would come on TV. I kind of just hopped right in, into the middle of season two because I kind of know what's going on at any given point because I've seen it so many times. But I know that uh, 
many I've been telling you to watch The Office for a long time, as have a number of your fr- other friends, right? Yes, T-Bone and Gino are on my case. T-Bone especially constantly yeah. about having to watch The Office. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would have to I would have to agree with them on that because it's a really really good show, really funny show. A couple of my friends have been rewatching it, so I decided to hop on that as well. And it's finally, not, it's, oh sorry, go oh, ahead. No, no, sorry, sorry uh, I was I was about to get off The Office. So okay, I was just gonna say I'm like uh, it's not that I don't want to watch The Office. I just have a hard time finding the time to add this into my watch list for sure i can understand that and you and i create homework for each other all the time so <laughs> it's it's not like we have time for just about anything these days um and finally the uh the only movie i watched besides the uh the ones in the mcu this week uh was a quiet place it's a uh, it's a new release it's directed and starring uh sorry directed by and starring john krasinski um only an hour and 30 minutes long it is a horror movie slash sort of a sci-fi also starring uh, John Krasinski's what real wife, real life wife, excuse me, Emily Blunt. Um, it's, a, it's a small cast. It's only uh, it's about their family. Uh, I'm just realizing I haven't pulled up the plot synopsis quite yet. Do you have it on? Yeah, uh, I sure do. Yeah, uh, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. Yeah, so it's it's a really good movie. You find out uh, pretty early in the story that. Uh, that it's sort of post-apocalyptic these these monsters it's never really explained where they come from if they're aliens or if they're you know like where these creatures exactly come from but they they have a really really highly developed sense of hearing so much so that like even when this family is playing board games with each other when they're hiding in this sort of uh cabin in the woods sort of thing um when they're playing board games, they replace the uh, the game pieces with uh, pieces of cloth. Like, that, this is how quiet they need to go. They speak entirely in sign language. I would say about 95% of this movie's dialogue is in sign language. Um, their is it daughter subti- is that, it's ob- it obviously subtitled then? Yeah, they're, of course, it's subtitled. Um, so uh, their daughter in this movie is actually deaf, so that poses a really interesting problem. How do you teach this girl who doesn't even know what sound is to be quiet and it's uh, it's a challenge that their family definitely has to overcome um there is a tragedy right at the very beginning of this movie that uh sort of haunts them for the remainder of the movie and something they have to overcome as a family and this this really is a good horror movie i it's funny that i've said i think numerous times in this podcast that i'm not a horror movie fan but there have been some really really good horror movies released in the last year to several years i mean of course we had get out getting nominated for best picture um and yeah this is quite a quite an enjoyable movie it's not even really a true horror i mean there's not a lot of jump scares there's not a lot of that kind of thing going on it's mostly about this family's struggle to stay together in the face of grief in the face of adversity and in the face of pretty much the apocalypse and it's it, it's a really enjoyable ride, and I'd recommend it. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about this movie from critics, from people like you, from uh, other friends of mine that have seen it. Uh, this mm-hmm. is on my list of things that I want to see. I, I want to try and find the time to get to the movie theater to see this. Uh, next week, uh, I might be able to. I'm, I'm really hoping to, because I, I do want to see this in the theater before it uh, it gets out of here. I mean, one other uh, thing that's revealed very early in the movie, I don't think you'd qualify this as a spoiler, but uh, another challenge that they have to overcome is that Emily Blunt's character is pregnant. So uh, she, like, the date is soon approaching, and they need to figure out, okay, in a in a world where we can't even creak going down the staircase, uh, lest we be found, uh, she needs to find out how to 
give birth at, to a child and be silent and also find out how to prevent the child from not crying. And it, it's like the whole movie, there are just these looming threats and looming challenges that you think there's no possible way they can overcome. And watching them try to figure out ways to overcome them is a really enjoyable ride. Oh, yeah, this just sounds amazing. It's a really amazing movie, and I highly, highly recommend it. But uh, that's all I have to say about A Quiet Place. That's all I've been watching this week. Uh, Manny, what have you been watching? Um, I've been uh, busy with some uh, some other things. I didn't really get to much. I didn't really get to watch much this week. Um, but what I did watch, uh, I rewatched the uh, uh, 2015 Oscar winner uh, Spotlight, uh, one for Best Picture. Um, it's uh, the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic Church to its core. This movie is utterly fantastic. Um, definitely worthy of its Best Picture win. Uh, it came a bit of a shock to me uh, when it did win that year, um, but I this film floored me from top to bottom. The cast in this film is jaw-dropping. Um, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Lev Schreiber, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci. Uh, it's just an absolute actor's paradise. Um, the, the, the writers, uh, it was directed by Tom McCarthy. Uh, and it was written by Josh Singer and Tom McCarthy. The script is sizzling. It, it's just a chance for people to show off some really great acting. Um, the fact that it's also a true story adds to it as well, um, and it's uh, it's just a it's just a powerhouse of a film from start to finish. I, these are the kind of movies that I just salivate for, and and rewatching it just reminded me of what a fantastic film it is. Yeah, just looking at the uh, best picture nominees this year, uh, the year that uh, Spotlight won it was Bridge of Spies, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Spotlight, The Martian, The Big Short, Room, and Brooklyn. So that's a pretty strong list. There's yeah. really strong movies in there. Um, this, I think this was the first year that I decided I was going to watch all of the nominees. Um, so off the top of my head, I mean, it, it's not Spotlight is not my favorite movie on that list. It's not my second. It's not my third. But it is a very, very good movie. It's just, it's not the type of movie. Like it's, it's sort of funny that we're talking about Spotlight in the week we're talking about the MCU because Spotlight represents just about everything in film that's the complete opposite of the mcu it's a very reserved very quiet subtle movie with not a lot of big acting scenes i mean there's maybe one scene where mark ruffalo loses his cool yeah which is a fantastic scene oh, so good. um but uh when when big when big moments happen th- what i love about this movie is that the actors react the way real people would react yeah they when michael keaton discovers something he has a he has a great way of like absorbing the information just sort of going whoa for a second and then deciding calmly what to do like it's it's not a very it's not a flashy movie at all no. not in not in the acting performances not in the camera movements uh it the it's mostly about the story it's about the story and the struggle and the internal struggle of these people to reveal all of the horrific things that have been happening over the years. And it's a really important movie too. I yes. think it's, it's about a very important topic. It's something that needs to be talked about at some point in the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it, but they say it's something like 6% of, uh, of priests worldwide or something like that. Uh, do you remember the exact statistic? They say, no, I don't. 
something like 6% of priests, maybe in America, maybe worldwide, uh, have molested uh, or sexually assaulted a, a child in some way, which is a horrifying, horrifying statistic. It's disgusting. Yeah, and uh, I thought uh, the way this movie tackled the story of these reporters was uh, was very good. And like they they really cut out the fat in this movie. There's no... There's bare, there's kind of like hints of a romantic B plot, but not really. Like, I thought there was tension between Rachel McAdams and one of the other characters. It has been a while since I've watched it. I thought Rachel McAdams, or no, sorry, Mark Ruffalo, his home life is sort of fleshed out a little bit. Like a he's little in the middle of a divorce, bit. but it's like it's not even about the characters. They barely give them a background at all. It's about the story. And yes. It's about, and it's about the reporting. Yes. It, it, it is and, th- and you hit it right on the head this this and that's why this movie winning best picture sh- really kind of shocked me considering the strength of its competitors um for all the reasons you said it's not flashy it's it's nothing great there is no great there's no great huge monologue seeing except for maybe that again that one with mark ruffalo um it, it's just a it's just a solid film from start to finish it's gripping it's riveting um, and yeah, it, it just really portrays what happened. Um, yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how much they fictionalize and all that. Cause I haven't done the research on it, but <clears throat> God damn, I love this movie. Yeah. It's, and I, I don't want people to think that, that that's not a glowing review. Like the way I described it sounds really boring. Honestly, it's not boring in the slightest. Like no. it's a very riveting, very interesting movie. It's just, it's not Hollywoodized. It's, I mean, again, you just said you don't know how much is fictionalized, nor do I, but it it's not, like, Mad Max came out the same uh, year as this movie, and they were both nominated for Best Picture the same year, and I can't think of any two movies that are the more opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> each other. So true. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was Spotlight. It, it, again, for those of that, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and then the other film... I uh, I watched um, is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I don't know if it would crack my top 20, but anytime I get a chance to watch this film, I'll sit down and watch it from start to finish because it is pure brilliance. And that's the 1998 film Elizabeth. Um, it was directed by uh, Shakar Kapoor. Um, it, uh, it's a film of the early years of the reign of Elizabeth I of England and her difficult task of learning what is necessary to be a monarch. This stars Kate Blanchett. Um, and she is utterly amazing in this film. How she didn't win Best Actress, she lost to Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love, um, is an absolute travesty. Um, don't get me wrong, Gwyneth was fine in Shakespeare in Love, um, but to see those two performances side by side nowadays, it's an absolute travesty that Kate Blanchett didn't win for this role. Uh, I absolutely love this film. I'm very excited, um that I'm uh, forcing Sam to watch it down the road um, <laughs> so that we can we can discuss it uh, a lot more because uh, he hasn't seen it yet. Um, it, currently, Elizabeth is on Netflix. Um, so for those of you that want to see uh, a, a really great film about Elizabeth I and to see some serious acting going on, uh, please check out Elizabeth. Um, also, if you want to see a guy who decides that he wants to really create um, a cinematic experience, uh, Shakar Kapoor uses the most odd and incredible camera angles throughout the film. There's so many bird's eye view shots. There's so many 
shots from so far away um, that you can't really see uh, what's going on. You just have an idea of what's going on, and and it's not that you lose anything in it. You just you really if you're if you're looking for some cinematography, you're like that's an odd choice to shoot it from the <laughs> basically the ceiling of that room it, it's uh it's it's definitely different um and i do like it but as the story starts to move along he he goes with more traditional shots but there's so many especially especially like bird's eye view or god's eye view i don't know there is a lot of religious overtones in this film um <laughs> but yeah it, it's definitely worth checking out i absolutely love this film and again if check it out I'll, just to see Kate Blanchett put on uh, a, a jaw-dropping performance. Yeah, it uh, it definitely sounds interesting. I don't know if it's one I'm going to check out immediately, just because I know uh, we are planning on watching it down the road uh, a little bit for another episode. Um, I will say that I love sort of unorthodox uh, camera styles and oh, cinematography, styles of cinematography. I I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Like I. One of the things that really catches my eye uh, more and more as I delve more into film is uh, the cinematography and seeing what's on screen. I mean, I we were talking about Spotlight. I was shocked, frankly, that it lost to The Revenant because of mainly because of the cinematography and because Emmanuel Lebesky, the director of photography for um, for The Revenant, is a genius, oh. and as is Alejandro Giannuritu, the director. Um, so. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why the spotlight win shocked me that I forgot to touch on. So yeah, uh, with when it comes to Elizabeth, um, th- that's one of the things I'll uh, I'll be sure to look for. Oh, you won't miss it. I I know how much that you've really started to uh, to get into cinematography and stuff like that. So when you finally get around to watching Elizabeth, um, which will be a little while because that's uh, that's a ways away before we get to that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm so excited because I, it's one of the things that you're going to notice immediately. Um, all the incredibly, I don't want to say weird, different camera angles mm-hmm. and camera positions that he uses in the film. Um, so that's what we've been watching uh, this week. So let's get into the main part of our show, which is us discussing our top five MCU films as we get ready for Avengers Infinity War. Um, like we do with all of our top five, we're going to alternate our picks. And if somebody's pick is higher, we will wait until we discuss it at the higher ranking. Um, as Sam and I were just getting ready to start recording, uh, a last minute switch, I, uh, immediately switched, uh, up my rankings. Uh, one that had, uh, been ranked lower. I immediately moved into the number one spot. Um, Ooh interesting yeah i actually i actually switched my two and three as well as a, <laughs> as a game time decision but i mean that that's really a testament to the quality of all the movies in the mcu i mean there are some that are notably weaker than others and there are some we yep. can obviously predict that aren't going to be on either of our lists but as far as you know there are 18 movies in the mcu uh 19 with uh, infinity war coming out this weekend uh but of the 18 that are already out um i've seen 12 of them i know you've seen all of them so i, I haven't seen, seen I haven't seen quite as many as I would have liked, but of the 12 that I have seen, I don't think there's a bad one. There's not one that I didn't enjoy. Uh, I don't know about you with uh, uh, the MCU as a whole. Of the 18 that I've watched, there's none that I didn't enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But like I have mentioned before, I fully admit to being 100% biased towards the Marvel films. Um, I'm a Marvel zombie. I love, uh, I, I love the comics. I collected the comics as a kid. Um, but these films that they make in my opinion, are 
pure genius. Um, mm-hmm. They are the exact definition of a popcorn film. Um, they are spectacle, uh, and they're done so well. And unlike uh, some other uh, comic companies, I won't name them, um, <laughs> they stay true to their characters. Um, and that's I think the- that's a shot. That's a shot at Batman vs Superman, isn't it? They stay true to their characters. <laughs> and Fox. And Fox, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the MCU, because Marvel has full control over these characters, um, they make them pretty much like they do in the comics or very close. They stay true to the characters and surprise, surprise, that really resonates with fans because these characters in the comic books are fantastic. Uh, They're created, most of them, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and a few other people and these characters are fantastic. They've been this way for years. You stay true to the character and people are going to fall in love with them and that's what they've done. Um, So, uh, out of all the 18 films, um, there's none that I that I di- that I disliked, uh, but there were ones that were definitely weaker. Um, why don't you let our fans know which ones you haven't seen, Sam? Yeah, so I like I mentioned, I have seen 12 of the 18. The six that I haven't seen were The Incredible Hulk, the first two Thor movies, Captain America one, Guardians of the Galaxy two, and Ant Man. So mostly the older ones, uh, and then Guardians of the Galaxy two and Ant Man as well. Um, from what I understand, uh, Thor. Um, What's the... I wanted to call it Edge of Darkness for a no, second. No, The Dark World. The Dark World, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's not Star Trek. Uh, but from what I understand, Thor 2 and The Incredible Hulk are considered to be among the weaker ones, so I would be absolutely shocked if either of those made it onto your list. Yeah, they, they didn't. Um, I, I've heard so many people say that uh, The Incredible Hulk is weak. I really liked it. Um, yeah. But again... I've, I've, I, I've heard it called the bastard child of the MCU. It's the one that uh, that Marvel pretends didn't exist because Edward Norton is no longer a part of the MCU. Uh, apparently, it sets up a sequel that never came to be. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a little bit of a, a mess of a movie production wise. Uh, but I, I've heard some people hate it, some people love it. I've I I really liked it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I do have every intention of checking out uh, the six movies that I am missing, as well as Infinity War this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, those are those are the six that I've been missing. There are also a few that I would have liked to have rewatched this week. As I mentioned, I did rewatch four MCU movies uh, just as this is a primer for this episode and Infinity War. There are some that I'm a little out of date on. Like there are some that I haven't seen since theaters, like uh, the second and third Iron Man movies, which I mean also aren't the best. Oh, uh, two's two's an abomination. That would yeah. call, uh, for for me it would. It's between Iron Man two and Thor two as as the worst in the MCU, right? Uh, you mean, oh yeah, Thor two, right? Yeah, okay, makes sense. Um, so the, uh, that I would have liked to have rewatched. There are certain things like Thor Ragnarok, which I haven't seen since theaters. Black Panther, I'd like to watch again. Um, basically, I would have liked to have watched all eighteen, but yeah, of course, there's only so much time in a week. And I, I managed to get to four. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's get started. Why don't you uh, start us off with your number five? Yeah, so number five is a, uh, a relatively recent addition to the MCU, uh, and it's one that frankly surprised me that uh, that I kept on this list as a cut. But it's one that I think is just a visually spectacular movie, and that's the 2016 movie Doctor Strange. Oh wow, that's not on my list. I fucking love that it's on yours. I know, right? Like I, I'm. 
I was surprised at myself, and the movie I had to cut to fit this in, frankly, uh, might piss you and some more diehard Marvel fans off, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that later down the road. Um, uh, just a quick plot synopsis from IMDb. While on a journey of physical and spiritual hearing, of healing, excuse me, uh, a brilliant neuro neurosurgeon is drawn into the world of the mystic arts. So uh, this movie introduces Benedict Cumberbatch into, uh, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, they're really great performances all around. Uh, he throws on a, uh, an American accent in this movie, which uh, sounds completely natural. Uh, we also have True to Legia 4. Uh, we have Rachel McAdams. Uh, Benedict, <laughs> there's, there's a character called Wong, who's played by Benedict Wong, who's really, really funny. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who's a fantastic Danish actor you might know as the Shiva from uh, Casino Royale. He plays the main villain, uh, Cassilius. Tilda Swinton is the ancient one. Michael Stuhlbarg is a guy we've talked about numerous times on the show um, uh, as just a, as a fantastically underrated actor. So this is a really, really good cast in this movie. Oh, this cast and, is phenomenal. But I, what I really want to focus on is the visuals because uh, oh. Doctor Strange uh, embarks, as is said in the plot synopsis, on this uh, spiritual journey. He, he discovers these mystical powers. He... He studies for years and years to to get these powers, um, and the way that these things are portrayed on screen, things like the mirror dimension and things like uh, the the time travel that's portrayed and the travel between dimensions, it was just so creatively put on screen. And I this was one of excuse me one of the more recent movies sitting in the theater. I went whoa. Looking at some of the things that are being portrayed, one of the other that comes to mind is Life of Pi. It was sort of a sort of a similar experience that I just some of the things I, I find it even difficult to find the words. Like I, I'm uh, struggling to not describe this one scene because I think we are going to do our favorite scenes in these movies, right? Oh, oh, right. I for, actually totally forgot to do that, but I can we probably think of them off. Nah, let's do it. I can do them off the top of my head. I love these movies. Yeah, for sure, but. Uh, on top of all these great visuals, the journey that Stephen Strange takes and his uh, his character arc, while it is pretty similar to the arc that uh, Iron Man takes, Tony Stark, uh, in the original movie, he goes from, you know, some arrogant know-it-all to a guy who really opens himself up to the world. Uh, I, I think that character arc is really well realized, yep. as well as the really creative decision, I thought, to portray the Ancient One, who's like his mentor, played by Tilda Swinton, Portraying the Ancient One as flawed, because there's this tendency for all movies to, you know, make their uh, make their mentors like the old wise character who knows everything, and then in the end of the movie, it turns out they were right all along, yeah. and like they have some some nugget of wisdom that lives forever, forever, and inspires the inspires the protagonist. But in this movie, Tilda Swinton makes some really questionable decisions, and uh, she has to live with them, and she knows that she's not perfect, and I. I liked how they, they fleshed her out a little bit deeper and didn't just make her a one-dimensional, flat, I-know-everything sort of character. I agree. Uh, she was absolutely phenomenal uh, in that role as the Ancient One. Uh, um, there was some flack over her casting because the Ancient One is Asian in the comics. So a lot of people were upset. But um, they also failed to realize that in the comics, the Ancient One is male, so Disney slash Marvel did hire a female to play the Ancient One. Um, so whatever. It, 
you can never do anything right. Um, <laughs> but in my opinion, uh, again, I, I didn't collect Doctor Strange comic, so my uh, my connection to him is pretty loose. Um, he, you know, he would guest star in some comics I would collect, and and uh, um, so I only have a cursory knowledge of his stuff. Uh, the one thing that I like that they did change is that in the comics, uh, Wong is Doctor Strange's, it, it, not anymore, but he was um, Doctor Strange's manservant. Um, basically, yeah, yeah, in the comics. He's basically kind of his butler bitch boy. Um, ah, interesting. So I love the changes they did with Wong in this movie because he's fucking awesome. Um, and... Benedict Cumberbatch plays Stephen Strange perfectly. Um, his cocky, he's arrogant, uh, and then this uh, accident happens to him, which takes away the skills he has, um, and then he learns to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, I agree. It, the It's the same kind of arc that was in Iron Man, um, but it, it's just, just done so well. Uh, and again, like you said, the visuals, phenomenal. Um, the one thing... Uh, I, I loved um, how they would play with reality um, with their spells. Uh, I can only imagine how much better this film would have been or how how much my jaw would have dropped if inception hadn't been made. Yeah, that's very true because uh, a lot of the a lot of the visuals are sort of stolen from inception yeah I guess, you, would, you could say and it's unfortunate because like if you if you take out inception, existing then the world building and how they bend reality with these spells and stuff like that i would have been honestly jaw dropped i would have been like what the fuck am i seeing um but that doesn't take away uh what they do do uh in this in this movie because it is so spectacularly done um mads mickelson is a, a decent villain you don't they don't really dive into him too deep um he he looks cool mads mickelson kind of always I think he'll always be cool on screen. He has such presence in that voice and the way he acts is great. Uh, and I always butcher his name, but Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, he is going, he, he plays um, Baron Mordo. Yeah. Who is, um, he's Doctor Strange's big, big bad guy. Uh, he's, his, he's his main villain. And I love that as they do in, in almost all of Marvel's uh, heroes and villains, um, they start off as friends. Uh, and um, I, I love that. And then at the end, again, we're going to be spoiling all these movies, by the way. Uh, he mm -hmm. does turn. And uh, it sets it up well for the sequel, which uh, will be coming um, a few years down the road. Uh, I I agree. I, I love that this movie's on your list. Um uh, it was just it was such a treat and i i've watched it several times yeah uh one of the things i think one of the problems that this movie presents for the uh marvel cinematic universe that i think is going to be interesting to see how they solve in infinity war is that doctor strange is probably the most powerful superhero they've introduced to date uh with the ability to time travel and uh and a number of other ridiculous powers that uh can only be uh, usurped by you know someone incredibly powerful uh it's it's truly it's baffling that they're gonna have to come up with a villain for this uh per, to defeat this person and it's like, thanos is gonna have to be really fucking strong for dr strange to not just be able to you know brush him aside with the, with the wave of a hand because some of the things that 
this league of mystics is able to do is uh, it's a little bit perplexing that they're going to have to come up with villains for these people. Because yeah. it's just, it, it, it would run the risk of it just not being interesting with them being this powerful. Agreed. Agreed. Um, um, so, your favorite I, I, yeah, my favorite scene. Uh, it's I think you know what it is. It's the the sequence where he first meets Tilda Swinton, and uh, he's you know brushing her off as this like as this mystic, and he's like you know this is all bullshit. Like uh, I can't believe you, know, you you guys believe in all this crap. And she just touches him on the forehead and sends him traveling through uh, space and time in a number of different dimensions. And it's there's no dialogue in this scene, but it's visually spectacular and it's what i was refraining from talking about earlier uh when i was talking about the visuals of this movie the the animators outdid themselves it's the best looking scene in the entire marvel cinematic universe for my money um it's really really good and it's only it's only about a minute long i think uh but it's it's worth the cost of admission and it's spectacular i think you thought i was going to go a different direction with that i did i did (laughs) um for me my favorite scene uh, it's a very long scene because uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it all. It's uh, when uh, Doctor Strange first meets uh, Cassilius and they right. fight in the New York office and Doctor Strange first meets the Cloak of Levitation. Mm-hmm. And that fight scene where the Cloak helps Doctor Strange fight uh, is just it, – it's such a great combination of um, of action and almost slapstick comedy. The Cloak of Levitation reminded me of the magic carpet from Aladdin. And the way <laughs> it's true. the way it's basically sentient and uh helps out its owner. I, I loved it. And I was has a sense of humor. And has a sense of humor. <laughs> I was giggling, laughing, and enthralled all at the same time uh by that whole fight scene. Um so for, for uh, I don't disagree that scene where uh, the Ancient One sends Doctor Strange through those multiple dimensions in the theater was such a, an amazing clip. I, I, was, I, I would actually have a hard time disagreeing with you that it's the most beautiful cinematic part of all of the MCU. For sure. I'd also like to give an honorable mention to uh, the, the finale of the movie with the Dormammu have come to bargain scene. Yeah. I just thought that, was a, that was just a really creative solution to the problem. It wasn't just a big, you know, blue light in the sky destroying the city type of thing. Uh, it, it wasn't it, it didn't strike me as trodden territory. It was a very original, and very creative ending to the story, I thought. Nice. I agree. Awesome. Doctor Strange, you're number five. And your number five would be? My number five is the great little movie that made my heart swell the 2017 sure to be classic spider-man homecoming also on my list oh higher all right well i guess we will wait until we get there let's move on to your number four well i suspect my number four will also be on your list but a little bit higher um it's a movie that i think a lot of hardcore Marvel fans would consider to be the best movie of the MCU. It very well might be. It's not necessarily my favorite, as evidenced by its spot in number four. And that would be the classic uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's on my list a little bit higher. Yeah, I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on to your number four we go. My number four is the movie that started it all, the 2008 Iron Man. It's also on my list, and it's also higher. <laughs> Are we ever going to get to talk about a movie? <laughs> nope. All right, let's move on to your number three. Okay. 
my number three, Captain America Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> also on my list, little bit higher. Okay, let's let's keep going. <laughs> We're gonna find something to talk about. I swear. All right. What are we my, on your number three? My number three. Actually, we can start discussing. My number three is Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Okay, fair enough. So after all that, we end up talking about the next order anyway, I guess. Oh, Perfect. no, the next order would have been your number five. But. <laughs> all right, Captain America Winter Soldier, with it being higher on your list, why don't you go ahead and get started on this Awesome. One? So Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, as Steve Rogers struggles to embrace his role in the modern world, he teams up with a fellow Avenger and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Black Widow, to battle a new threat from history, an assassin known as the Winter Soldier. Um, this was uh, directed by the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, um, who were hired off of – Disney hired them – Marvel and Disney hired them off of their work on Community, um, which I've never seen. Community is um, a great show. I, I, that's what I've heard. I, I, I have I've only seen, I think, the first three seasons because after that I'm told it gets a little bit in that. But, yeah, Community is a really good show. Yeah, and – I don't know, like, I only have a basic idea on uh, on what that show's about, but god damn it, these guys know how to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the Russo Brothers wanted to try to recreate a 70s spy thriller, and they nailed it. This movie, honestly, this is, uh, it, 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 this would be up at probably in the all-time top five best comic book movies in my opinion mm-hmm. um I, th- this movie is just jaw-droppingly good um st- um i don't even know well a couple things i liked um they started off really well the the first captain america which you haven't seen um mm-hmm. it it's done very well but it's def it's a little bit a little on the campy side um and after i remember seeing it in the theater and i was like i was like that was that was good, um, but not quite what I was looking for. Um, this was what I was looking for, like the difference in the difference in quality between Captain America: The First Avenger and Captain America: The Winter Soldier is massive. This movie is so fucking good. Um, the opening scene with Cap uh, running laps around uh, the Washington Monument and whatever that big man-made pond lake thing around the abraham lincoln memorial and all that shit whatever yeah but running laps around uh sam uh i can't remember his last name um and uh, it's so cute and awesome as these guys introduce each other one another and they're uh, he reveals his book of things to catch up on because for those of you that don't know captain america was frozen in ice uh missed the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, to only be uh, unthawed in the in the 2000s. Um, so he has this running list of stuff that he writes in this book that he needs to catch up on, and uh, some of the things in there are very amusing and, and really cute. Um, it was a great way to reintroduce the character uh, to fans, and then they get right into the action with a rescue scene on a freighter um, where we meet uh, Balrock, who's played by one of my heroes, George Rush St. Pierre. Uh, yeah, I had totally forgotten he was in this movie. I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't know he was in it. Oh, you didn't? 
I was like, I because I think you see him sort of from like a side profile shot yep. first, and his face is sort of obscured. And I, I remember the first time you got a good look at his face, or well, before you get a good look at his face, I'm like, that guy kind of looks like George St. Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> and then they showed him, and sure enough, he does a really good job. I mean, I'm assuming he does a lot of the stunt work in this movie being as skilled a fighter as he is i'm assuming he doesn't need a stunt double for much if at all yeah i i don't know the extent of what he did um they picked a, a great guy for for him to play he doesn't have a lot of dialogue so he doesn't really have to act he just has to kind of act threatening and then he has a really great fun quick fight scene with captain america and it's r- done really well especially for <clears throat> For a couple of directors who I don't know if they had much action experience prior to this, they choreograph a really great little fight scene. Um, from there, it starts becoming a very kind of a almost like a political thriller as we uncover that there's some problems going on within Shield and all, all this kind of conspiracy stuff, which I ate up uh, again. It's because I'm a fucking nerd and I love this kind of stuff. Um, but it was great. Um, th- moving on to there, the when Fury is ambushed in his in his car, um, such a great thrilling ride um, throughout the whole thing. Like I, I was, it's one of the best chase scenes as he's being hunted by these mercenaries, and you don't know why, and he barely escapes. And just as you think he's about to get away, this guy steps out who I know is the Winter Soldier, but it's your first real glimpse of him, and he just fucking wrecks house, and Fury barely escapes with his life. Um, it's just such a it's such a great film. I, I, I was too excited to talk about it. I forgot to talk about all the great people in this movie. Obviously, Chris Evans returns as Captain America. Samuel Jackson is in as Nick Fury. Scarlett Johansson returns as Black Widow. And then we have the legend Robert Redford, uh, Sebastian Stan... Um, comes back as Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier. Anthony Mackie comes in as Sam Wilson. That's the last name I was trying to get as Falcon. We have one of my crushes. She's not up there with Charlize, but she's there. And that's Kobe Smulders, um, who plays Mariah Hill, again reprising a role that she had uh, earlier on. Um, Frank Grillo shows up as Brock Rumlow. Uh, The best part is me as a nerd is uh, as soon as his name was revealed, I knew who he was. Uh, he ends up becoming the villain Crossbones, so it was fucking wicked. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Um, and then, yeah, and then there's a, a little cameo, um, a little thing with Haley Atwell, who plays Peggy Carter, who is just such a great character from the first movie. Um, it, it's it's just, again, Marvel killing it with the casting. Um, the uh, After the chase scene uh, with Fury, the movie kind of... Uh, I want to say it slows down because the action really kind of diminishes and it starts becoming more of a mystery and, again, like a thriller. Um, And and this is why I think a lot of people feel that this is the best Marvel movie um, because it doesn't rely on action. It relies on intrigue and uncovering plots and trying to figure out who's done what and who can you trust and all that and it's just done brilliantly my i really tip my cap to the russo brothers and and they've nailed it with the other film um that they've done in the mcu and they have another one coming up with infinity war yeah um when people talk about this movie being the best in the mcu they certainly are right from a technical perspective it's a it's a brilliant brilliant movie um i think 
you touched on some of the fight scenes. For my money, this has some of the best hand-to-hand combat in the MCU. Yeah. And it, for a franchise that focuses on action mostly, there's, I mean, there are some big explosions, but I mean, for the majority of this movie, it's not, you know, it's not a big alien invasion or anything like that. There aren't mostly entire cities getting leveled or, you know, cities being raised and then dropped like in other movies. Uh, it, this is a very mature movie. It's very contained for most of it. Um, I, I have it described in my notes as the most dark nighty of the, of the <laughs> MCU, just because of the, the feel of it. It's a little more realistic, it's yep. a little more gritty, it's sort of an espionage movie. Um, but yeah, I think the the best things about this movie are the hand-to-hand combat scenes. Uh, you touched on some already with George St. Pierre. Um, there's Maybe I shouldn't touch on too many since we are going to be doing our favorite scenes later. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there, there's one scene that brings it down a little bit for me. It's not a fighting scene. Uh, it's it's the scene with Arnim Zola in a computer. It, yeah. It's just, it's it takes you out of the movie. Like you mentioned the first Captain America was a little bit campy. This scene takes it back into that territory, which is fine. I enjoy campiness to an extent yep. and it can be done really well. But given the tone that this movie had so masterfully set up to this point, it's sort of grittiness, it's, it's more of a spy thriller than a, than a superhero movie. Um, the scene of them talking to an evil villain doctor inside of a computer and having him monologuing and explaining his evil plan to them, it just it kind of took me out of the movie for a second, given the tone that they had taken. So that's maybe one reason why this isn't quite as high on my list as uh, maybe it is on some other diehard uh, Marvel fans. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I, I agree with the tone and everything that they said. This is, uh, as much as we say, uh, out of all the MCU, this is probably the most realistic of the films. Oh, absolutely it is. Um, and I love that. Um, but yeah, this this movie's just absolutely brilliant from start to finish. Something else that kind of bothers me about this movie, and I am going to touch on these things just because I feel like I need to justify it not being my number one because it is so highly touted. <laughs> um, like there, there are at least, I think I count two moments, maybe three. There are at least two moments, though, where the Winter Soldier has Cap Shield. Like he ha- it's not he's not like tugging on it and they're like shaking. Like he has it in his hands, and both times he immediately throws it back to him. Like he throws it at him. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that the shield is like the source of Cap's power or anything like that, or that he's useless without it. But I think we could all agree Cap is a lot more powerful when he has that shield. <laughs> and just holding on to it or like throwing it away or something would be a far better strategy as far as the fight goes, rather than trying to decapitate him with it by throwing it at him. Right. Well, that that is true. But like, there's <laughs> when it comes to those kind of things, there's so many. Pl- the, you know, little plot holes like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like the most minor of minor yeah. picks. I just, like, the first time it happened, I was like, huh, he probably should have just held on to that. And then the second time it happened, I was like, okay, seriously, just hold on to the fucking shield and the movie's done. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. <laughs> just thought I should point that out. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, let's just get into I don't think I have really much else to say about Captain no, America. That's about it. I'm ready to go to favorite scene if you are. Yeah, go right ahead. Um, I there there were a bunch to choose from. I mean, it's no surprise I'm going to be picking one of the fight scenes from this because the fight choreography is so creative and so cre- incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to choose. It, it was a close call between two scenes. I'm going to have to go with the elevator fight scene. Oh, it's, nice pick. It's when uh, the the agents of Shields uh, all they're all in the elevator. So Cap's in an elevator with a few of the other agents. And he notices is that a few of them are sort of like gripping at their guns and it's very suspicious. And then a few more agents get in 
and some of them are sweating and nervous and trying to act casual. Then a few more get in and he realizes slowly that these people are piling into this elevator to overpower him. And the tension is built up oh, so well so leading up to well the scene, done. even before the fighting starts. Mm-hmm. And then he delivers this awesome little line where he says something to the effect of, before we get started, does anybody want to get out? Yes! And then the fighting starts, and it's so cool, and it's really, really creative. I mean, he overpowers, like, 20 different guys, but he's certainly not without a fight. I mean, you genuinely think he's fucked at a few points in this fight. Yes. And <laughs> at, at one point, one of the villains says... Uh, sorry, Cap, it's nothing personal. Personal, And then uh, he gets the shit beat out of him. And then Cap leaves the elevator and says, it feels a little personal. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a little bit cheesy, honestly, but like the comic book nerd in me is just like, oh, that's such a such a fantastic moment, I thought. Oh. <clears throat> it's the same scene for me. <laughs> that scene is the highlight of the movie for me. Um, and again, it just really solidifies... Chris Evans as Captain America. He is... I won't lie, when he was first cast as Captain America, I was so angry. I was like, I don't understand what they're doing. This is the... Could you have picked anybody worse? After watching the first Captain America, I was like, oh my god, I'm like, he nailed it. I'm like, wow, good for him. And as these movies... You're casting that asshole from the Fantastic Four movie? That's exactly what I thought. Um... And as these, as the Captain America films have come along and the Avengers films have come along, um, Chris Evans as Captain America is iconic. His he's so perfect for this role. Again, I, I can't even really think of a misstep Marvel has made in their casting. They are, they do their research. They really vet these people. Um, they're just fucking phenomenal at this job. And uh, Chris Evans is Captain America. For sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, I agree that 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 was my favorite scene as well. It, it, for me, it was between that and the highway fight scene, obviously with the Winter Soldier face reveal. I mean, obviously you know who the Winter Soldier was. Yeah. But, and I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it's just because I haven't seen the first Captain America. But when the shield comes off of his face and he says Bucky, is that? Is, do you see Bucky in the first movie? Oh yeah, yeah, he's a big part of the first movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Um, Bucky so for is. Me, when I saw that part, unfortunately, it didn't hit me as hard, which is probably another reason why it didn't make like my top scene of the movie mm-hmm. but uh yeah the, that scene was really good as well and really creative and exciting choreography in that one too yeah it's one of the things that, that um I, I i love when i go to these movies with people that aren't into comic books like i am um because i know of twists and turns that are coming before my friends um do because i know the comics and so i knew who the winter soldier was i knew that he was bucky um, but I was really excited to see somebody else experience that shock um, and some of the other things that happen in other movies. Uh, seeing it happen for the first time <clears throat> is phenomenal for me. Uh, it's one of the things that I wish I, at times I wish I wasn't such a comic book nerd, so these twists and these shocks that they put in their movies would actually shock me. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, uh, but I, I do like seeing... Uh, other people's reactions to it, and uh, and that one was was a nice one for me. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that was my number three. What's well, I know what your your top two are, so I'm excited yeah, to see what the order. It's just I, the order. Um, I I just uh, okay. What's your number two? <laughs> <laughs> well, number two is a movie that Manny's been telling me to watch for a long, long time, oh. and I haven't. 
Uh, I didn't get to catch it in theaters, which I've been really bummed about because I've been really good about catching the recent Marvel movies, and this is one of the recent ones that just slipped through my fingers. Uh, and I watched it actually for the first time this week. And the fact that it's my number two wow. uh, on such a short time frame really speaks volumes. And that is, of course, the, uh, the very recent uh, instant classic Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, I am so glad that this made your list. I had, I was thinking, I'm like, ah, oh, he'll, I'm like, I, I knew that you would like this. And I, you know what, let's, let's, we'll, let's get in the plot synopsis and then, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> For sure. So, plot synopsis, Peter Parker balances his life as an ordinary high school student in Queens with his superhero alter ego, Spider-Man, and finds himself on the trail of a new menace prowling the skies of New York City. Okay, perfect. Okay, now I'm going to go back. Okay. So, I, as Sam revealed, I've been trying to get him to watch this for a long time, and it's not that he didn't want to see it, it's just one that slipped through his fingers. So, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, and I begged you, to get, as we got ready for this episode, I'm like, you have to see this movie. Because in my mind, I was pretty sure it was going to make your list. But again, I thought it would be like four or five. That yeah. you have it number two makes me even happier. Um, so I, I'm, I'm now going to shut my mouth and allow you <laughs> to talk about, talk about why it's your number two. For sure. Um, I was shocked as well that it was this high on my list. Not because I thought it was going to be bad. But because a lot of these movies are ones that have had time to simmer. A lot, a lot of them are ones that... I've watched multiple times uh, that I've had time to think about how great they are, but Homecoming instantly made an impact on me. It was funny. It was interesting. The characters were fantastic. The villain was awesome. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this one. I I guess I can just start there with Vulture. Vulture is, for my money, the best villain in the MCU. I told Uh, you. (laughs) Yeah, I think you did tell me that on our our very first episode, right? Uh, Our top 10 of 2017. Mm -hmm. You told me that you thought uh, the Vulture was the best villain. I was like, wow, better than, like, all these guys, better than Loki. I thought that was very high praise. But I see where you're getting at. Uh, He's an interesting, complex, well-acted character uh, who's not even really a villain. He's... He's a guy trying to make ends meet. He's played by Michael Keaton, masterfully. That guy masterfully. is getting that guy's getting absolutely blown in this uh, in this podcast. Um, but he's he, he's played really well. His his motivation is just that he's trying to get money for his family. He's a weapons manufacturer. He takes alien technology from uh, I guess it was from Sokovia, wasn't it? It was from or no, no. It, yeah, was, it was he's taking the alien technology from the um, the New York uh, invasion of the. Um, Right, the aliens. So he, was, he was originally on the cleanup crew and, yep. you know, lost his job because uh, Tony Stark's company uh, decided they were going to clean up instead. Mm-hmm. So he decided he was going to steal some of this technology and become an aliens weapon, alien weapons manufacturer. And you totally understand where he's coming from the entire movie. Yes. He's, you know, he's it, it sucks that he has to resort to that, but he's not... Uh, mustache twiddling uh just hell-bent on destroying the world sort of villain he's just he's just he's a father and he's trying to provide for his family and the way he has to do it kind of sucks but if in another in another world this movie could have been about vulture and about uh spider-man taking him down and his struggle and how he's being pushed to the edge by this guy who's getting in the way of him providing for his family yep yeah, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. I think Michael Keaton's Vulture is the best uh, Marvel villain in the MCU. Um, the only 
the only person, in my opinion, in all of in the Marvel films and TV shows that can rival him um, is uh, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones season one. Interesting. Um, Loki obviously is really fun and really entertaining, but for an actual villain, I gotta go with the Vulture or Kilgrave as my favorite and, in my opinion, the best villain in in all in all of the Marvels. For sure. Um, let's talk about Tom Holland. Let's uh, talk about Tom <laughs> Holland. Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man we've ever seen on screen. Hands down. Um, no argument. Is... If anybody says anything differently, they don't know the character. Yeah. And I'm saying this as someone who grew up on the original Spider-Man trilogy. I'm saying this as somebody who... One of my favorite superhero movies of all time is Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock. That's a great movie. Oh, it's such a good movie. Um, and I was even young enough at the time of Spider-Man 3 to enjoy the campiness of it. <laughs> And, of course, Spider-Man 1 is a classic. So I, I grew up really liking the, uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. I haven't seen either of the Andrew Garfield ones. I'm told you can skip the second one uh, and the first one's okay. Um, honestly, uh, I really liked uh, – Andrew Garfield was a, a really good Spider-Man. He was a horrible Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to – I, I don't want to uh, get too far away from what we're talking about. But um, they're worth checking out. The, the second one – uh, the second one is is really horrible um, because of Jamie Foxx's uh, Electro is, is, an atro- is an atrocity. Um, yeah. <laughs> the main, the only reason to watch number two um, is to see the real life chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone because it resonates on that screen. It is crackling electricity between the two. I know that they were already dating at that time. I don't. I don't think they're still together. But holy goddamn, they are fantastic on screen together. Um, so if you want to see two people in love that are really acting well with one another, then definitely check out the second one. The first one's a lot of fun, um, but the second one, if they could make a cut with just Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield and Dennis Leary who's great in both films as well as uh, Emma Stone's father. Uh, uh, I don't know. She was Gwen Stacy, so I can't remember what his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's, worth, it's worth checking out if you're ever free and you see it on Netflix. Definitely check them out. But let's get back to Tom Holland. Yeah, for sure. That'll be one that's, uh, that's, that's on the list, but far, far down. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very far down. Um, yeah, so Tom Holland's charisma uh, right off the bat is immediately apparent. He, I don't know how old he is in real life, but he plays a 15-year-old. He can't be older than, you know, 18, 19 years old, I'd imagine, in real life, I, at least I the time of shooting. I think, oh, when he's, yeah. Um, I want to say he was, like, I think he's 21 now, so he would have been, like, 19 mm-hmm. when they shot. Yeah, he's a pretty young dude, and he he plays a high schooler really well uh, in spite of that. I mean, there's a long history in Hollywood of, uh, you know, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds being cast as high schoolers. Andrew and, Garfield. Uh, Sorry, Andrew Garfield. Andrew oh, yeah, Garfield's like in his late twenties. He was playing a teenager. Yeah, so exactly. But as Manny touched on, he's great as Peter Parker. I wasn't a uh, a comic book nerd. Like I didn't actually read any of the comics. Uh, but uh, from what I understand, Tom Holland's Peter Parker is very faithful to the oh, original. It's so faithful. It's so good. Um, he's. He's hilarious in this movie. His quips are really funny. I know that's a lot of people's complaints about the other Spider-Man movies. That Spider-Man's supposed to be really funny. Yes, he He's is. He's supposed to be a really funny character, and they nailed it in this movie. He tells tons of jokes when he when he originally busts uh, a bank robbery, and the robbers are wearing Avengers masks. 
and he's like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? And he's, like, talking to them like they're the Avengers, and when he's beating them up, he's like, wait, you're not Thor. <laughs> you're not the Avengers. And he's just so sarcastic and so funny. And, yes. like, there are numerous moments throughout the course of this movie where his where Tom Holland's natural charisma uh, combined with the clever writing just uh, makes sparks fly. Oh, I, I, couldn't ag- I couldn't agree more. The writing and the way that they finally treat this character, which is... I'm talking to you, Fox. If you stay true to the characters, people will come out and will love them. And that's what they did here. They nailed Peter Parker and Spider-Man together finally in the same film because this is the first time Marvel had control over the character. Mm-hmm. Sony still has the rights, but they're like, yeah, you know what? We kind of shit the bed with these last two movies. Why don't you guys kind of show us how it's done? We're still going to make a shit ton of money off of all of your work. And Marvel's like, yes, thank you. We can give you this. We can give you some money. We'll we'll give. I don't know what the deal is or how much Sony got. They still own the rights to Spider-Man, but now they've allowed Marvel to have this character in the MCU. And Marvel had full control over what to do and the writing and all that. And they fucking hit it out of the park. Uh, there's one line I wanted to touch on that's not even Tom Holland's, but it was the it was the first note that I made on this page when I was watching Homecoming. It was the line where they're practicing for the academic decathlon. And uh, the question is, what is the heaviest naturally occurring element? And the person buzzes in and says, well, hydrogen's the lightest. And that wasn't the question. And it sort of trails <laughs> off. At that moment, I was absolutely hooked. I was dying in my seat at his delivery of that line. I obviously didn't do it justice just there, but it was it just set the tone of this movie as really really funny right off the bat yes and and and, uh the director john watts um who uh directed the movie he his goal with this movie and from everything when they were filming it is they basically wanted they wanted to do what would we do what would you do if john hughes wrote a comic book movie and this is a high this is kind of like a high school comedy set in a superhero world and that's what they've done like they nail um, the life of a teenager dealing with the responsibilities of trying to be a superhero. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I also wanted to talk about just because one of the things that I loved about this movie was its relatability. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of comic book nerds, uh, they really see Peter Parker in themselves, which is part of the reason why Spider-Man is such a popular character. Um, one of the things, well, as long as we're going there, I'm going to go there. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Peter Parker has been, you know, he's had his suit taken away from him uh, by Tony Stark. He's decided he's not going to interfere in the Vulture's business anymore, and he's just going to go to Homecoming and be a kid. He's going he's gonna to go take this girl that he likes to prom. Oh, we're going to go he, there. And he opens the door, and it just so happens that the girl that he wants to take to Homecoming is, is Vulture's daughter. And I, unfortunately... Unfortunately, that scene had been spoiled for me. No. Yeah. So the the reveal. Oh, of Vol- who reveal spoiled of it? Yeah, I, I can't even remember. I think I just I accidentally read it online or something. Oh. Too late to go back at that point. Um. But yeah, I had the reveal of Vulture as uh, as his love interest dad re- revealed a little bit too early for me, unfortunately. Um. But that's one of the things I loved though is that. It's the scary moment that, like, a lot of guys can relate to of meeting the girlfriend's dad. Like, just this intimidating, scary moment as you're a teenager. And they 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 combine that with the fear of uh, seeing your your arch rival face to face, a superhero, and that combination of fears. They like, it's such a 
unique moment seeing a supervillain that people can't relate to, but the way that the writers combine that with the fear of meeting your girlfriend's dad or meeting your date's dad, I just thought that was a really clever touch and a great way to make it relatable. Yeah, uh, like the writing and the whole part, everything about this movie is phenomenal. And again, I, I think one of the reasons that this movie works so well is they strayed away from the big blue light in the sky. This mm-hmm. is the stakes in this movie are really they're relatively small. It's just about yeah. it's just about an arms dealer. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's Spider-Man's whole thing and that's another thing that makes Peter Parker such a relatable character is he wants to look out for the little guy. Yep. I mean the Avengers are there to take care of alien invasion, that kind of thing. Spider-Man's whole MO is that, you know, who's looking out for the average Joe? Who's looking out? Who's going to defend the defenseless? And he just wants to look out for the people of New York. And, and help out however he can. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Which, by the way, was a little bit cheesy that they decided to actually put that phrase in the movie. Your, your friendly <laughs> neighborhood. I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Like, okay, I can I can let you have that one. When Tony Stark tells me he needs to be just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and then it comes back later. It was a little bit of an eye roll for me, personally. Awesome. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Tom Holland is perfect, again, as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Um, I'm glad that they hired a kid because we get to watch him grow up as he grows up playing Spider-Man. Um, it, it's going to be a phenomenal ride, and he is, yeah, like, it, I, I honestly don't see how anybody that even knows Spider-Man as a character can make an argument that anybody else was a good Spider-Man. Yeah, and it's not only the fact, and again, I didn't read the comics, but it's not only the fact that he's faithful, that he's interesting. I think his motivations are clear, he's funny, he's charming. Uh, I, I just think all around... Even not knowing the comic book Peter Parker, he's just a better character than Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Yes, totally. on just a basic writing level. Um, I don't know if there is anything else. Oh, I wanted to talk about his character arc as well because I loved uh, at the beginning of the movie when you're introduced to Peter, he's just obsessed with the Avengers. He's obsessed with Tony Stark and wanting to get back in the action. He's calling Tony Stark and uh, his, uh, I guess, the middleman between them. Uh, non-stop and he he won't stop until uh he gets his next mission and stuff like that and i loved the arc of him realizing that his his purpose should be to take care of the little guy and by the end of the movie when spoiler alert he's invited to the avengers he turns tony down and turns down a shiny new fancy spider-man suit in order to just help out the people of new york and it's a really really touching interesting moment and it loops back to a moment earlier in the film when Tony tells him uh, I can't remember the exact quote something about the suit if you're if you're nothing without the suit then you're nothing with it or something like that yeah something to that effect and he realizes that this shiny new suit and this role in the Avengers isn't going to make him happy he just wants to help out the little guy and I loved the realization of that character arc oh yeah it's fantastic absolutely fantastic this movie is brilliant from start to finish um do you have anything else you want to touch on before we move on to favorite scenes I don't because you're not a comic book fan Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you got some of the little easter eggs that were in there if you remember the scene um, with uh, what's his first name last name is Glover oh Donald Glover thank you Uh, 
aka Childish Gambino, who's yes. also in Community, by the way. Um, awesome. <clears throat> I don't know if you know who that character is in the actual Marvel universe. I don't actually. Okay, so if in, in the scene he Peter Parker goes to him in a very amusing scene. Um, goes to him to get some information about an arms deal that went wrong. That's a great scene. Yeah, it's a, such a great scene. Um, and he mentions that uh, he has a nephew. His nephew is Miles Morales. Oh, uh, who is uh, the current Spider-Man, right? That's correct. Right. And yeah. so they're setting... I'm, I'm pretty sure... Well, I shouldn't say I'm pretty sure. I know that they're eventually going to do the Miles Morales Spider-Man story, mm-hmm. um, but they—I I love that they set up that Miles Morales exists. He doesn't show up in the movie, yeah, but his uncle did, um, and so they're setting it up to go on down the road. And I'm looking forward to that playing out. Um, there are a bunch of other little, obviously, nerdy Easter eggs, but that—that's a big one. Yeah, I also looked up. Uh, I didn't understand really the post-credit scene. Uh, in the, the jail? one where, sorry, in the jail. Yeah, in the jail. I didn't really understand it at first. Like I understood the relevance of Michael Keaton not giving up uh, Peter Parker's identity, but I didn't really know who the guy he was talking to was. Oh, it's Scorpion. Yeah, it's Scorpion. Yeah, <laughs> so I had to look that up. Um, the other end credit scene, by the way, is fucking hilarious. So uh, through through the entire movie. Uh, in Peter Parker's high school, uh, you see these PSAs from Captain America, like, uh, like only a fool would do drugs sort of thing. And, like, they're all really cheesy. And uh, he's he talks about drugs in one. He talks about, uh, I think, honesty in another. Um, and then at the end of the credits, uh, it's Captain America giving one of these P- PSAs about patience because, I mean we're conditioned as Marvel fans to expect some big reveal of like a villain or like a, a plot point at the end of the credits. And then Captain America comes up on screen and says, uh, patience is important. Even if you don't get what you're expecting at yep. the end or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's such a big troll moment, but I, I loved it. I thought it was really funny personally. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Especially because I didn't watch it in the theater. I didn't have to wait through the entire credits. Oh, you can just fast forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> I like that. Uh, one other note that I didn't touch on, probably the last thing I'm going to touch on before favorite scenes, is uh, Pepper Potts shows up. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow shows up for, I think, the first time since Iron Man 3. Is that correct? Correct. So, yeah, long, long hiatus for her, but it's good to have her back in the, in the MCU. Yes. Um, favorite scene? Uh, my favorite scene is, I, I think I know what yours is going to be. Oh, you know um, what mine is. I'm, what's that? Uh, you know what mine is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But I, I think I'm going to go uh, away from the action scene for this one. Uh, I, I liked the uh, the car ride with Vulture. So after he shows up uh, at uh, his date's house for homecoming, discovers that her dad is Vulture, and he doesn't know who he is, on the ride to homecoming when uh, Michael Keaton is driving Tom Holland and his date, uh, he slowly figures it out, and the slow building of the tension and the revelation that that uh occurs to vulture like oh shit this is the guy who's been messing up with my plans this is the guy who i vowed to kill and when he says to his daughter you know give me a moment with peter i have to have the dad talk and he rips into him and tells him that you go in there and show my daughter a good time and you never try to stop me again or i'm gonna fucking kill you uh that moment was insanely intense and a really well acted moment by michael keaton and tom holland Mm -hmm. that's my favorite scene Really? Okay, oh, I, thought my... you were, I thought you were going to go with the fairy, uh, the fairy fight. Nah, the fairy fight's fine, but that scene 
is the highlight of the film for me by yeah. far. It's all I could think about afterwards. There's so many great comedic moments in the film. The action scenes are great. The fight scenes are are, are terrific. But yeah. that scene, two people acting, one's in the front seat of the car, one's in the back seat of the car, and like you said, the tension building from the moment he knocks on the door to pick up his homecoming date to the moment he gets out of that car to go into homecoming is absolutely unreal. The tension keeps building and you can see Michael. And I love that Michael Keaton figures it out on his own. Just Mm -hmm. little hints, little things start to add up. And he, and it, because obviously with a complaint with so many films, you know, like the most common complaint is Superman's unrecognizable because he wears glasses and he becomes (laughs) Clark Kent. Nobody can piece the two together. Um, which is fine. It doesn't, I don't care. It's, you know that people have a problem with that, but they're fine with a guy that can fly and has shoots lasers out of his eyes. Um, <laughs> they can believe that, but they can't believe that glasses hide his identity. Whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. So the fact that that he doesn't stumble upon this or follow Spider-Man home or accidentally learned it, <clears throat> Michael Keaton's vulture figures it out just by these little subtle hints and clues that Peter Parker is Spider-Man is chilling. And you can see the evil and the wheels turning on Michael Keaton's face. It's such a brilliant scene. And, and for me, the highlight of the film, it's all I could think about after watching the movie. Yeah, it was the first moment I was, I was, I had my hands over my face. It was just a, a huge, oh shit moment. And the, it, it's the moment that drives the climax because even in the face of a, a death threat, this high school kid has to, has to man up and uh, and do the right thing. Yeah, it's it's the scene that creates the emotional payoff for the entire movie. Really agreed. Uh, all right, so that was your number two. That's fucking yours. awesome. I'm. I, I don't think. Uh, okay, I, we know one of the movies that's in your top two. I don't uh-huh. think we know the other. You don't. And I'm that's I'm I'm actually surprised that this wasn't on your list. But okay, my number two. Oh, hold on. <laughs> forget my, what it was no 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 I just had to get it up on the screen my number two is the 2014 classic Guardians of the Galaxy yeah so this movie was really really enjoyable I think had I rewatched it this week there's a chance it could have cracked the list it's just not fresh enough in my mind frankly for me to justify putting it up there to- I, I get that totally. Um, so, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a group of intergalactic criminals are forced to work together to stop a fanatical warrior from taking control of the universe. When they announced that they were making a Guardians of the Galaxy film, I was stunned. <laughs> I was stunned. I was like, are you, are you serious? I hadn't heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy before, uh, before the release of this movie. I only knew them... Um, very peripherally and um for those of you that that don't know um this iteration of the guardians of the galaxy these characters uh gamora drax star lord rocket and groot is actually the second version of the guardians of the galaxy um the original guardians of the galaxy were a group of five or six different completely different characters that actually show up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Those are the ones led by the Sylvester Stallone. So you're saying uh, that Chris Pratt is the Jean-Luc Picard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yes! That might well, have been the nerdiest sentence I've ever said in my entire life. It is definitely top three. That was, that was fucking awesome. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Um, right. But um, 
so when they announced this, I, I was absolutely floored. I'm like, wow. I'm like, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for some characters here. Um, when I walked into the theater, um, the the movie opens with a heart wrenching scene, um, with the death of Chris Pratt's character's mother. Um, I won't lie; it brought tears to my eyes. Um, could be also because I was a new father at that time. I was <laughs> been a father for a few months, so <clears throat> it might have hit home a little bit harder uh, seeing a parent die. Um, and that's no spoiler, by the way, uh, even though we will be spoiling parts of the movie anyways. Um, so this little tear-inducing <clears throat> this little tear-inducing opening scene is then followed by an amazing musical opening number following Chris Pratt on this crazy world. <clears throat> He's dancing to Spirit in the Sky in that yeah. scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's not, spir- it's not Spirit in the Sky. Um you can look it up. Um, yeah. It's just this great riffing by Chris Pratt as he's as we don't know what he's doing. He, we know that he's searching for something, um, but he's just walking along in this in these ruins, dancing and singing and having a great time playing with all these CG characters. Um, it just that scene really sets the tone uh, for the rest of the movie, and the movie just completely uh, follows that line. Uh, did you have the song? Uh, it is Come and Get Your Love by yep. Redbone. Thank you. Um, great song, by the way. Um, yeah, fantastic. Great I, soundtrack I, in this movie. Oh, overall. Th- this is one of the... F- this is a movie where people talked about the soundtrack as much as the movie itself. For sure. <clears throat> um, this... The characters in this movie, the, the cast in this movie, so we'll start with that... Um, Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, uh, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel only as the voice uh, of Groot, Bradley Cooper as the voice of Rocket, um, Michael Rooker, uh, Karen Gillum, Jamon Hounsou, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, Benicio Del Toro, uh, and then Lee Pace uh, as Ronan, um, who I remember when I saw him playing the character Ronan, I was like, I recognize that guy. Uh, and he actually plays um, the main antagonist uh, in the movie Lincoln. Um, and that's where I see him, and he's great. Um, but I, I remember thinking, I'm like, really, they're going to make a movie um, with a talking raccoon and a living tree? I'm like, I, I, how is this going to work? Um, but they, they fucking nail it. Um, Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Uh, is fantastic. I again, I don't have a lot of background with these characters, so whether they stayed true to these characters or not, I can't speak. So the MCU version of these characters are all, in my opinion, done perfectly. The weakest point, the, the weakest part of this film, though, is easily Zoe Zaldana's uh, Gamora. For um, sure, she's the easily the least interesting of the Guardians. Everyone else has, you could call it a gimmick, but everyone else has a very unique feel to them. And uh, yeah, Zoe Zaldana is just very not memorable. She's completely, uh, completely forgettable. And the the hardest part I had for me is they uh, they mentioned it a few times in this movie is that Gamora is like this amazing assassin and and incredible fighter and all this stuff, and yet she bare like when she first meets Star Lord, she first meets Chris Pratt and Rocket and Groot, she gets her ass kicked, mm-hmm. and then when they go to the prison, she gets her ass kicked. 
and she barely ever wins any of these fights and she's supposed to be the greatest assassin in the world um it's at the prison where we meet drax the destroyer played by dave batista um a former wrestler uh who is is fantastic like if there are very few i i think professions that are also well equipped to be actors like there are very few professions where you can just go oh i think i'm gonna get into acting wrestling seems to be one of them because it's it's very performance heavy yes um so you get guys like dwayne johnson obviously is one of the biggest names in action movies right now dave batista has been really good even john cena in certain roles has been really entertaining uh i think i i really hope that we continue to see wrestlers make the switch to the big screen because a lot of them just ooze charisma and batista's no exception oh yeah his his portrayal of drax is is probably probably the highlight of the movie for me like he was i was dying laughing um because uh drax takes everything said literally and he also doesn't have a filter and just says what he's <laughs> thinking and it's fucking hilarious um yeah. I don't know how much prep all these actors had with each other, but the chemistry between them all is palpable. Um, Again, with the exception of Gamora. Zoe Saldana, like I said, is easily the weakest. Even the other, um, uh, one of the other antagonists in the film, Nebula, um, she's infinitely better than Gamora. Um, I can't remember who plays her. I I can look it up, but um, it's... These guys are just having so much fun, um, and uh, I, I don't know. It was it was just such a fun little I don't know caper slash road trip movie set in outer space in the middle of nowhere. That's that at the time you didn't really think it was connected to the other MCU movies, but then you find out that it is, um, mm-hmm. and this is what starts. Well, not. St- starts it's hinted at otherwise but this really moves the infinity stone story forward this is this is the first time isn't it that uh infinity stones are mentioned by name i yes. think this was, be- this was before ultron right correct yep so i think this is the first time in the mcu that the infinity stones are actually mentioned by name mm-hmm. uh, and... one of which they are seeking uh, which stone which stone is it they're seeking in this movie i don't know i can't I can't even remember. It's not even really important. That's yeah. actually one of my one of my only problems with the MTU as a whole is that because they've sort of painted themselves into this corner with the whole uh, Infinity Stone plot, a lot of the plots can start to look the same since they all have the same MacGuffin sort of. Yep. I mean, the the for those unfamiliar, MacGuffin was a term uh, coined by uh, Alfred Hitchcock, basically just to describe any old object which is completely unimportant to the story, but it's the thing that the characters want. So, I mean, you can emplace the Infinity Stones with anything. You can you can re- replace it with any object that the characters need, and the story doesn't really change all that much. Yep. Um, so that's kind of my biggest problem with the MCU as a whole, is that some of these stories can start to look the same. That's one of my problems with Guardians of the Galaxy in particular, is that, I mean, okay, we're just... We're just chasing after the Tesseract or the Scepter or, you know, whatever. It's It, it sort of starts to feel the same after a while. Even yeah. the, the highlight of this movie easily is the characters, but plot-wise it feels like trodden territory. Personally. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's nothing new in this plot. What makes this mm-hmm. movie really stand out is the chemistry between the characters and the actors portraying them. Um, I, I just – it was such a fun ride. I, I couldn't believe what I had seen. Um, I think also part of the reason one, – <laughs> one of the reasons that this movie 
means so much to me is I went and saw it with three of my best friends uh, in Seattle, and I <laughs> it was me, T Bone, Gino, and Kyle, and we're in the theater, and me. T-Bone and Kyle are having the time of our lives and I can just feel that Gino is hating every moment of this. <laughs> and the movie ends and he is literally upset about this movie. He hated it. Why? <laughs> it's a perfectly enjoyable movie. He fucking hated it. And That's I funny. think that makes me like this movie even more. <laughs> and we still we still make fun of him for how much he hated this movie. Um but I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's just so much fun, and that's the reason it's at my number two is because of the fun factor of this movie. Uh, and again, the chemistry between all the actors. Um, I, 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 there was rumors at this time, I think shortly after this movie, um, that, uh, that Chris Pratt was going to take over for Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Yeah, and, I remember those rumors. That was a long time ago. Now. Oh, he's basically playing Indiana Jones in this movie, and mm-hmm. I, I wish, I, I don't want to see any more Indiana Jones films. I know that they're making another one, but you don't it, want to see Shia LaBeouf as Indiana Jones, like they uh, alluded to in uh, the movie that shall not be named. Um, yeah, uh, oh, I, yeah, I definitely want to see a Mutt Williams movie. Um, <laughs> if they ever decide to make an Indiana Jones film with Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones, I'm all in it. Um. He he's just absolutely phenomenal and so charming and so amazing in this movie. Um, go ahead. I was just gonna say the Jurassic Park franchise definitely figured out that you can throw him into any pile of shit and he'll make it infinitely more likable. Like the the Jurassic World franchise lives solely because Chris Pratt is a likable person. Oh god, those movies are fucking horrible. I don't want to talk about those movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't really have much to add with Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just so much fun um, and absolutely enjoyable. It's like a, a little bit of a I don't a roller coaster ride. I mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just it was just so much fun. Um, anytime I watch this movie, I can't wipe the smile off my face. Yeah, there's so many enjoyable moments like. Uh, the, the moment where I think uh, Star-Lord is rallying the troops at the end, trying to get them to go for one last mission, and Rocket is the last one to join in. And he, He's getting everyone to stand up and join together, and then Rocket stands up. He's like, great, now I'm standing too. Look at all of us <laughs> standing in a circle. Bunch of jackasses. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's sort of the general tone of this movie. It, it almost borrows... I shouldn't say it borrows from Deadpool, because it was before Deadpool, but it sort of has the similar tone of Deadpool, where a lot of the humor is just undermining the superhero genre as a whole. And I thought they were really clever with a lot of that. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was just so much fun. Um, your favorite scene? Um, off the top of my head, again, I didn't take notes on this, uh, this movie, and it's not totally fresh in my mind, but off the top of my head, the prison break sequence is really, really good and really memorable. It's funny, it's interesting, it develops the characters really well, it moves the plot along nicely. It has another fantastic moment of uh, Rocket and uh, Star-Lord, uh, their banter, of <laughs> Rocket telling him all the, the the grocery list that he needs for this uh, break to happen. And he says, and I need uh, that guy's leg. Or is it, is it the eye or the leg first? Leg. It's the, he's like, all right, I need this, 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 and that guy's leg. And he's like, you, you really need the leg? <laughs> he says, yep, can't do it without it. Need that guy's prosthetic leg. <laughs> and Chris Pratt takes it, and Rocket tells him he was just fucking with him. He's like, I didn't need that guy's leg. I can't believe you actually got that. <laughs> oh, again. I remember laughing my 
ass off during that scene when I saw it. We agree 100%. That was my that's my favorite scene as well. And sure. it is it is because of exactly what you said. Rocket <laughs> fucking around. They're trying to escape from prison and he's still joking around like a little motherfucker. Rocket's yeah. such a fun character and Honestly, I, I can't even – again, it's Marvel and their casting. I can't even imagine somebody other than Bradley Cooper doing this voice. Um, obviously- yeah, the fact that we're even talking about a talking raccoon as, like, one of the best characters in this movie is a little bit ridiculous. Yes. But a talking raccoon is arguably the best character in this movie, and that's not an insult. He's really, really good. Yeah, he's so good. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my number two is Guardians of the Galaxy. On to your number one, which – I know what it is. You do. It's uh, it's the one that got it all started. Uh, Marvel got it right the first time. That's the 2008 instant classic Iron Man. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah. Um, you have to remember when talking about this movie, while I do still believe it holds up and it withstands the test of time, you have to understand, A, that Marvel hadn't really figured out their formula yet, although it, they do stay... Uh, relatively uh faithful to it in later movies and b i was i think 11 when this movie came out that's how long ago it is it's been it's been 10 years so it's it's been a long long time so this movie didn't even think of that yeah this movie is 10 years old and i was 11 when it came out (laughs) how old do you feel right now (laughs) so old (laughs) um but the, the only reason i point that out aside from just making you feel old um is because I mean, this movie was really important to me as a kid. This was one of my absolute favorite movies growing up in my preteens. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the IMDb plot synopsis in front oh. of me right now. Do you happen to have it? Yeah, I sure do. After being held captive in an Afghan cave, billionaire engineer Tony Stark creates a unique weaponized suit of armor to fight evil. So all things considered, the fact that this movie is even good is kind of a... I don't want to say a miracle, but it's it's definitely it's worked out well for Marvel that this movie was good because the entire fate of their now monopoly essentially on the superhero genre comes down to the failure or success of this movie. Yes, and it worked really really well. Uh, it was also a really good year for uh, superhero movies. I think this kind of got overshadowed because this was the same summer that um, that Dark Knight came out, right? Correct. Yeah. So I mean, Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so. This movie, I I associate this year with like me getting into like more adult movies, essentially more more mature movies. Because I mean, we had sort of seen okay, we had Batman Begins before this, we had Dark Knight later that summer, but this sort of walked the line very nicely between uh, you know movies I talked about before, like the original Spider Man movies, sort of campiness and. Then you had uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies going completely dark in the opposite direction. Iron Man represented sort of the middle ground between those. It could have a lot of fun, and it was a ton of fun, this movie. Uh, but it also, it it was pretty dark. I mean, there's talk of terrorists in Afghanistan. There's very mature ideas about what Tony Stark's uh, role in the world should be. It's just an overall very mature and well-crafted movie, and... Upon watching it in the theater as an 11-year-old, I was instantly hooked uh, from the very first thing that went boom. Uh, and even today, um, I'm upset that I didn't get to rewatch this movie um, just because it probably has been a year or two since I've watched it, and it's not totally as 
fresh in my mind as, as I would like, but I have seen it like five or six times probably, and it gets better every single time I watch it. It's really, really good. I absolutely love this film. Um, I remember when it came out. I remember being excited to go see it in the theater. Um, a lot of people don't uh, they don't remember um, that Robert Downey Jr. wasn't a huge star prior to this. Yes, he was well-known, but he'd had so many trouble. He was a, a troubled star. Um, he had gone into rehab. He had had a whole bunch of problems. Um, and... Marvel took a chance with casting him. Um, but for those of us that know the character Tony Stark, I was just like, I don't think they could have picked anybody better. Like, what, what, a recovering alcoholic? I'm like, that's <laughs> what Robert Downey Jr. is. I'm like, wow. Um, and they, and then when I heard uh, it was being directed by John Favreau, um, who's directed um, some movies I really enjoy, um, and, and as an actor, sorry, and some movies you don't, and some movies I don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was like, okay, I'm like, this is an, an interesting mix. Um, and then going to the theater, I was just, I was blown away. I was like, this is, this is amazing. I'm like, I can't believe they they pulled this off. Um, and it, this is obviously this is the film that lar- that uh, that launched the MCU. And uh, I was clamoring for more. Um, it's a, it's a basically almost like for what it is, it's a perfect film. It's so Uh much fun. It establishes the characters. It establishes the world. And Robert Downey Jr. just oozes charisma. He is just putting it all on display in this movie and knocks it out of the fucking park. Yes. I'm using baseball references as much as I can because it's baseball season. And he... (laughs) he just kills it as Tony Stark and Iron Man. And there's so much fun to be had in this movie from start to finish his quick wit, his witty delivery, everything about Robert Downey Jr. Um, is fantastic. And as the years have gone by, he's now just inseparable from this role. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. In the same way, I mean, there are certain actors you look at and you you just think they are certain people. Like when I was watching A Quiet Place this week, I couldn't stop looking at John Krasinski and thinking like, oh, that's Jim from The Office. Like there's just you have that association with some characters or like if I see Johnny Depp in any movie because of the movies that were important to me when I was a kid, I'm always like, okay, that's Jack Sparrow. And I think anytime I see Robert Downey Jr. in any other movie now, he's Iron Man. And that's. That's never going to go away. No. He is Iron Man. It might just be because he's played Iron Man in about eight or nine different movies at this point, but he's he is Iron Man, and he's going to be what every person who ever thinks about Iron Man from now until the end of time thinks about now. Well, it's what they did. Like At, at times, like in all honesty, I, do, I don't want to diminish the work that Robbie Downer Jr. does, but he doesn't really have to act much to play Tony Stark. Because his life has really mirrored Tony Stark a lot as well. Um, he's he's funny, charismatic, smarmy, uh, witty, uh, and that's what Robert Downey Jr. is in real life. You can see it when he's at these press conferences promoting these movies. He is Tony Stark, and that's because Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. The same way that um, the perfect casting was Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Um, he is. Deadpool. He acts yeah, like that. He, he acted. He when 
when like I was as I've mentioned before, I was a big Deadpool fan from the comics before any of the movies ever came out, before he even showed up in the atrocity that is Wolverine Origins. Deadpool was my favorite comic book character. And when they announced Wolverine Origins and they announced that Ryan Reynolds would be playing Wade Wilson, aka yeah, Wade Wilson, aka Deadpool, I was like, sweet Jiminy Crickets. I'm like, that's perfect casting. Um <laughs> it, it's just you know, it's just absolutely unreal. It it's it's the same Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. It is perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, uh, uh, watching Iron Man um, was an absolute treat, and and the special effects at that time were were breathtaking. Um, oh yeah, I, I remember just thinking I had never seen anything like this movie. Like the, the arc reactor and the things that it can do, the the sequences of him suiting up uh, with with Jarvis's help and the help of the machines around him. There are certain sequences in this movie I I remember thinking, like, just being blown away. Uh, as an 11-year-old kid sitting in that theater, I I still remember the feeling of knowing that I was seeing something I had never ever seen before. I didn't really have a good grasp of what exactly that was or why exactly it was I was feeling that way. But it was love at first sight for this movie for me. It was just perfect from the get-go. That's fucking awesome. Um, I want to talk about, uh, what is it I want to talk about? Oh, what about Jeff Bridges? Uh, Jeff Bridges is Obadiah, Obadiah Stane. I personally really like him as a villain. I don't know what your opinion of him is. Um, I, I think he's, I don't know what he, his, uh, what he's supposed to be. Cause again, Iron Man wasn't a comic I collected. Um, mm-hmm. I liked him as a villain. I liked, uh, obviously it wasn't a big twist. You could see it coming a mile away. Um, but he not me. He, I was eleven. Oh, very true, <laughs> very true. Um, but I liked it. He he was fine. Um, he's not. Again, he wasn't really mustache twirling. He wasn't over the top. Um, he was just kind of a greedy bastard and yeah. wanted Tony out of the way. Um, I liked it. Uh, I liked everything about that movie. I, I, he was he was a fine villain. He wasn't great, um, yeah. but he wasn't horrible. Yeah, I think. You hit the nail on the head that his motivation probably is a little bit by the numbers. I mean, it was the first in the MCU, so they could kind of afford to go that direction, I think. Um, as far as um, facing Tony Stark goes and battling Iron Man at the end, they do a really good job of handicapping Iron Man as much as they can because they establish early on in this movie just how powerful the Iron Man weapon can be. So they do a really good job of handicapping Tony Stark's Iron Man suit a lot mm-hmm. and raising the power of uh, Obadiah's. Uh, I can't remember what the villain's name is in the comics or whatever that he's supposed to be playing, but his suit is uh, is totally raised up in value. And so Iron Man in the rest of the movies in the franchise can essentially muscle his way out of any situation. But in this first movie in particular, it's really interesting because you get to see uh, Iron Man totally outgunned and outmanned and out- outmuscled. And the only thing he has on Obadiah is that thing between his ears. He's got, he has to solve the problem using his brain. And he comes up with a really clever solution to beat Obadiah. And uh, I just love the climactic battle in this movie, personally. Yeah. It's not my favorite scene. I'm not going there yet. But it's, it's a really good final battle, personally. I agree. <clears throat> uh, do you want to do favorite scene? or is Sure. There, uh, I, I don't have anything really much to add on. You've kind of covered everything that I want to talk about with Iron Man. Okay, uh, favorite scene, easily, uh, the cave escape from the beginning. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I fucking love that scene, and it was one of the most, one of the first mature superhero movie moments I remember watching, 
um, of Tony Stark coming to these realizations while he's in captivity of the error of his ways and how he needs to change. That whole process is really interesting to watch. And then with that culminating in him building this Iron Man suit and escaping from the cave, and he fucks some people up. Like, even watching it now, today, it really holds up. Yeah. He absolutely destroys some people. I mean, he's even almost a little bit ruthless at parts. Like, he has, like, a flamethrower. He busts some dude's head in. Like, it's it's a surprisingly dark scene, considering it's the ent- the first entry in the MCU. But it's, it's a really, really well-put-together sequence. And... It's again like some of the other scenes I've talked about. It's even more about the build up to it and the tension that leads up to it and the race against the clock to create this thing. And then when it finally gets powered up and he manages to escape, it's a really satisfying intro to this movie. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, it's not my favorite scene, but I love mm-hmm. that you picked that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have a favorite? Yeah, my favorite scene is a little bit later in the movie when okay. he's doing all the building and testing of the new suit um when it does it won't <laughs> that is a great scene when it when he first tries to fly and it f- mm-hmm. flings him up in the air and he hits the ceiling and crashes down like almost killing himself i mm-hmm. fucking died laughing it's that mix of action and humor that that the marvel films now do to perfection um but this is where they were testing everything out and everything that they tried hit um, mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was all these scenes. The way he was talking to his talking with Jarvis, and the way he was talking to I can't remember what he called that one robot arm thing, um, but it was so it was just so fun and such a fun scene and such a great way to is basically like a like a, your montage scene except they did it in a different way, and mm-hmm. uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, just some cleanup, I guess, before we uh, before we get going here. I I wanted to talk about the end credit scene in this movie because at the time, I mean, this being the first Marvel movie, I certainly wasn't sticking around till the end of the credits. I didn't know there was going to be a little Easter egg in there. And even if I did, I wouldn't have gotten it because I didn't know who Nick Fury was at that time because I hadn't been reading comic books. Um, but Nick Fury shows up, uh, played by Samuel L. Jackson, for the first time and decides he wants to talk to Tony Stark about the Avengers initiative mm-hmm. and rewatching this end credit scene in preparation for this episode just fills me with glee because he says something to the effect of you've become a part of a larger universe, Tony, you just don't realize it yet. And that's obviously he's talking about the Avengers in the movie, but it's a perfect metaphor for what would become later of the MCU. Yep. Like, nobody knew at the time Iron Man came out, what an absolute Goliath franchise Marvel would become, the largest movie franchise in history. Yes. Um, and nobody knew what it would become at that point. So I thought that line was a, was a nice little bit of foreshadowing for multiple reasons. You've become a part of a larger universe. You just don't realize it yet. Yeah, I can't remember, <clears throat> I can't remember how I found out about The Stinger. Um, but I remember seeing it in the theater. I think, mm-hmm. oh, I think it's not, it's not really post-credits. I think it's kind of, is it like mid-credits maybe? Yeah, I think it's like after the cast credits. Um, right. I don't think it's like right at the end end. Um, mm-hmm. But I uh, again, I don't remember how I found out, but I did. And I remember being told to stay. And so yeah. I did. And I I won't lie, I think I probably cried when he said... <laughs> I believe that 100%. I was just... I, I couldn't believe what I heard. I was just like... I was stunned. Um, yeah. It was, it was like a dream come true. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say. What was that? Oh, I just wanted to say that it was probably 
the second most, I mean, at the time it was created, it was obviously the most iconic, but now I'd say probably, arguably the second most iconic moment in the entire franchise is uh, the I Am Iron Man, uh, where he reveals it to the press and he just says, fuck it, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell them all who I am. And that reveal to the press at the very end, I think, is one of the most, it's the second most iconic moment in the franchise. What's the first? Uh, the circular shot in the Avengers of them uh, oh, assembling in the city. Nice. That's the most iconic. That's the most iconic moment. In the okay. Franchise. Yeah. Well played. I am Iron Man is second. Well played. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I believe that sums it up for Iron Man. Uh, would you like to introduce the movie that was? I just got to double check, make sure I got this correct. <laughs> yep. It was. It was my number three favorite movie of uh, the MCU. But uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce it as your number one? All right, my number one is Captain America: Civil War. I do not disagree with your decision in the slightest. This is a brilliant movie. Holy shit! Um, this originally, before, prior to us recording, this was actually my number three. But as I as I mentioned before, Sam and I were talking before recording, and I had to move this back up. Uh, the more I looked at it, the more I I. I thought about it. This is easily my my favorite uh, Marvel film. Um, again, directed by the Russo brothers, um, who just upped their game uh, tenfold after Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Um, There's so it, I, this movie's two and a half hours long, uh, and it didn't feel that long. And I wish it was longer. Um, it was amazing that they. Uh, you meet two <laughs> they introduce two huge new characters into this franchise and they don't feel short shifted you yeah. you get like the right amount they are, are you referring to black panther and spider-man i am referring to black panther and spider-man prior yeah. to spider-man homecoming um i can't I, I i can't say where i heard this quote from but i stole it and used it as my own Prior to Spider-Man Homecoming even existing, I told everyone the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen is Captain America Civil War. <laughs> because this is where Tom Holland is introduced as Spider-Man. And even yep. though I think he's in the movie for maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20, this is the best Spider-Man movie ever made until Spider-Man Homecoming came out. Yeah. Um, it is. I mean, Hannibal Lecter was only on screen about 17 minutes, and uh, that worked out okay for him in Silence of the Lambs. So true. Um, <laughs> and Black Panther is always a, a character um, I always loved in the comics. I didn't collect him. I didn't collect the Black Panther comics, but I always loved the character. The idea of Black Panther uh, was impressive. Um, and Chadwick Boseman, um, fucking amazing as... <clears throat> as T'Challa as the Black Panther. He's so regal. Um, we've gushed about uh, Chadwick Boseman when we did our Black Panther review, so I won't get into it too much here. For sure. Um, but there's so many characters um, introduced. Uh, there's uh, the, the villain in this one I actually really like. Um, the main villain is Baron Zemo. Um, I love him because, again, he's not mustache twirling, um, but he doesn't try to beat the Avengers by defeating them in combat. He's meticulous and puts forth this plan for them to destroy themselves and each other from the inside. Um, it's—I won't lie—his his 
His plan's a little convoluted. Yeah, his plan is a little <laughs> convoluted. And needs yeah. a lot of things to happen exactly that For sure. most likely probably wouldn't, but I didn't have a problem with it. because We it, see that with a lot of movies, though. I mean, Loki's plan in The Avengers is kind of kind of meh like, like uh, he wants to be captured so he's going to be on the exact same he knows he's going to be held on the same ship as the hulk and he knows he's going to be able to enrage the hulk at the exact same moment like yeah there's some there's some plots in the avengers from the villains that are sort of a little bit out there but uh, I mean, as uh, it is with every movie like yeah right like, you know but uh, i really li- i really like the that zemo wasn't there for world domination he again yeah. it's a character that Unfortunately, they don't really tap into the reasons why he's doing this enough because if you yeah. actually look into it, the reasons for him doing this are pretty – I don't want to say noble, but the Avengers killed his family. Well, yeah, they do touch on it, I think, at uh, the final scene between him and Black Panther after he has uh, successfully driven a wedge between Captain America and Iron Man and Black Panther has been on this path of revenge for the entire movie – and he finally confronts him. I think he reveals what his motivations are at that point, doesn't he? And he just briefly touches on the fact that in Sokovia, during the events of Age of Ultron, they uh, killed his family. Essentially, yeah. not not that the Avengers intended to kill his family. They were just no, but they, they were, were just collateral damage from from the battle that was going on. And so I'm like, can you really fault this guy? I'm like, I, if my family had been killed by a bunch of superheroes, I wouldn't be big fans of them, and I'd probably try and figure some way to get my revenge. Um, yeah. Um, but if I can touch on Daniel Bruhl before you uh, get off him, yeah. just uh, the actor who plays Helmut Zemo, I'm obviously a huge Daniel Bruhl fan because he's in uh, my favorite movie, which is Inglorious Bastards, and he uh, he plays uh, Frederick Zoller, uh, who is a uh, military and uh, action movie star, and I, I just wanted to point that out because he's <laughs> fantastic in that movie. So as soon as I saw him on the screen in this movie, I didn't know he was on the cast list before I before I went in. So oh. when I saw him for the first time, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Frederick Zoller. <laughs> I was so <laughs> excited that, like, one of my favorite – or uh, Sorry about that. We had a little technical difficulties on our connection there. Uh, you were mentioning that you were excited to see Frederick Zoller. Yeah, as I just previously mentioned, that Inglorious Bastards, my all-time favorite movie uh, – Frederick Zoller uh, being played by Daniel Brühl, who plays uh, Helmut Zemo in this movie. I, I personally liked him as a villain, uh, as Zemo. Um, but yeah, I was just really excited to... He's, uh, I believe he's Austrian. And I was just excited to see him make the move uh, to the Hollywood big screen again. Because from what I understand, he is a relatively big uh, European star, uh, as Christoph Waltz was before he also made the move to the uh, Hollywood big screen. Um, yeah, um a couple other things I want to touch on. I already uh, we touched on Tom Holland and what a great Spider-Man. This is the movie that we meet him. Uh, his scene with Tony Stark is fucking amazing. Um, and then um, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, um, uh, Daniel Bruhl as Zemo. Um, the when Cap and Falcon um, chase Bucky, and we actually see the Black Panther for the first time. I nearly wet myself. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> great chase scene uh i love the the scene with the motorcycle flip um just a cool uh, a, a cool kind of action moment um but you know if we're going to be talking about captain america civil war we gotta be talking about the scene and that's the airport scene yeah um, um this was the moment that was in all the marketing it was hyped up it wasn't spoiled but 
it was the moment that was marketed like hey all your favorite heroes are going to beat the shit out of each other and uh it was alone worth the cost of admission it, it was a beautiful beautiful scene it was absolutely fucking unreal this was literally watching uh, uh, uh the comic book uh comic book come to life um probably in my opinion the greatest comic book action sequence ever um mm-hmm. it was so well done the there was some humor uh, especially by Tom Holland Spider-Man um as he's fighting Falcon and the Winter Soldier you know he he's fighting the Winter Soldier he's like you have a robotic arm that's cool just <laughs> it's just an absolutely unreal scene from start to finish um I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it I I was uh, astounded in the theater I I I wish I had a camera on my face as I was watching that scene for the first time because I probably I probably look like Jack Nicholson's Joker with a smile from ear to ear. Um, it was absolutely unreal. Yeah, uh, one of the best moments in that scene is uh, I hadn't watched Ant-Man, and I still haven't watched Ant-Man, but the moment with him where he's like, okay, I'm going to try something. There's like a 50% chance I'm going to get ripped in half, but like he, uh, the, the scene where he becomes giant and just the laugh that he gives when he discovers that his trick worked and he just goes... Oh, and it's just such. I, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. I I know he's not for everyone, but I uh, I, I love a lot of his comedies. I I love you, man. Is one of my favorite all time comedies. Um, and uh, I'm actually surprised at myself that I haven't seen Ant Man. Bless you. I turned my mic off, so they don't. I don't think that they heard my sneeze. Oh, I definitely heard your sneeze. <laughs> you did. Oh, well, we'll see if it's on there or not. <laughs> Anyway, uh, anything else you wanted to say about the airport scene? Um, oh, God. A million things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, when he becomes Giant Man, uh, I knew that that was going to happen. Uh, sadly, it was spoiled for me. Um, uh, but uh, I know for a lot of people, they didn't know that Ant-Man had that power, where, where I do, because I'm a fucking nerd. And um, But yeah, it was, it, it was just so well done. And then it... The way it finishes with War Machine's near death, um, absolutely gripping and harsh. Um, the final, uh, I love that the Russo's um, choice at the final battle as it culminates in this ancient, or not, I shouldn't say ancient, this hidden former Soviet Union base where there's all these other winter soldiers that he's played up are more powerful than this winter soldier and you get there and they're all dead you were expecting all the avengers to fight these amazing killers and nope that's not the case at all baron zemo does not want he's not there to overpower them he wants them to defeat themselves and to destroy themselves from inside and he plays it up perfectly and that that last scene the last fight scene between iron man um, against the Winter Soldier and Captain America is honestly heartbreaking. It's it's hard to watch. Yeah, um, the the build up for that scene really starts at right at the beginning of the movie. Um, from the very get go, Iron Man and Captain America are the two opposing forces in this movie. Um, Cap thinks that the Avengers deserve to defend their own values and to decide what they stand for and when they should use their powers and when they shouldn't. And Tony, completely understandably, by the way, believes that they've gotten out of control. 
and that they need to be reined in by some sort of government body and they need some sort of oversight. And there's a great scene at the beginning of the movie uh, between uh, one of the victim's mothers in Sokovia and Tony Stark where she talks about her son that's died because of them and that she blames them. And then later, uh, about 10 minutes later, he goes on some rant about uh, about her son and about how he could have been a great engineer and now they'll never know because he's dead. So you really understand both of their points of view and then it's just driven home for the entire movie and there's tension building and then you think there's going to be everything, everything's going to be all right and then there's a fight scene and then you kind of think everything's going to be all right and they've reconciled. And then by the time you get to the final scene and it's revealed that the man Cap has been protecting, the Winter Soldier, murdered Tony's parents in cold blood, albeit under a Soviet uh, brainwash, uh, he still murdered Tony's parents. And it's established early on in the movie that that's one of the most traumatic moments of Tony's entire life. Uh, he, he snaps and he tells Cap that he's going to kill him if he tries to defend the Winter Soldier. And the fight between them there's, there are no punches pulled no. by either side. Nope. It is emotional, it's powerful, it's riveting. You genuinely feel like these guys could actually kill each other. There's one moment where Cap winds up with his shield uh, to take a hit at uh, Tony's face, and it looks like he's trying to kill him. And had he connected, he would have killed him. Yep. And it's a really, really emotional fight scene. And it was honestly gut-wrenching to watch in the theater because of how close these two were. And it, it was a really awesome moment, one of the best moments in the MCU. Yeah, which is a testament to the skill um, of the actors and Kevin Feige and the creators of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe building up these characters to this point um, that you actually care about it. And uh, it was it was an astounding moment. Um, and it's one of the it, again, it's just one of the many reasons that this tops my list. For sure. Um, do you have something else to talk about for final scene or for uh, favorite scene? Favorite. Well, my favorite favorite scene is the airport scene. Yeah, for sure. I, I liked that one. I also liked the final fight scene between the two. I'd probably lean towards the uh, helmet fight or the uh, sorry the uh, I, I read the word helmet Zemo on my page and said helmet, <laughs> but uh, that and the airport fight scene are definitely very good. One other one I wanted to touch on that we haven't already was the one I just described in my notebook as the Grand Bucharest Motel sequence uh, where they, uh, they, they're they in Bucharest and they uh, uh, Cap uh, stumbles upon Bucky and then uh, they the two of them need to descend down. I can't remember if it's a motel or an apartment building or something. But it's they an apartment building. To, yeah, they need to descend down this uh, staircase together and that's a really well choreographed fight scene as well. Yes, very well and done. I think that, that's, that's the one that spills out into the street, right? And that's a new... And then Black Panther it's shortly deal. after that, that's where you meet Black Panther, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that's a really good sequence as well. Given the choice between those three scenes, the emotion of the final scene, uh, just off the top of my head, really takes the cake for me. It's it's really powerful. Fair enough, fair enough. No yeah. problem with that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, our, uh, that's our top five MCU movies as we uh, head towards the big Avengers Infinity War extravaganza this weekend. Oh, this just got me so excited for Infinity War. I need to, why haven't I bought my tickets yet? I'm going to do that like right now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So heading into next week, our next week's episode will be Sam and I reviewing uh, Avengers Infinity War. Um, I think uh, I think that's all uh, I think that's all we got for today, Sam. You want to finish off with anything? Uh, nothing, nothing too much in particular. I, I guess I can just say 
that the movies I did watch this week that didn't make my list uh, that I wanted to keep fresh in my head were uh, Avengers and Ultron. I'm kind of surprised that Avengers didn't make either of our lists because at the time it was a completely uh, groundbreaking movie and uh, there are some iconic moments in it that didn't make either of our lists. Yeah, totally. It, it, uh, it was uh, my second to last cut. Yeah, definitely a good movie. And then I also watched Ultron, which, I mean, is a, is a very good movie. Um, I like James Spader as Ultron, but it's not on the level of Avengers, and it's not on the level of the ones that we just talked about. Yeah, totally. But, uh, yeah, I'd say that just about does it for me. All right, so uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, for those of you uh, listening, we appreciate it. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, giving us uh, some ratings and some reviews will actually increase our profile. Please uh, tell your friends about our podcast and spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. You can contact us uh, at Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please like and follow our Facebook page. Uh, so for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I am Manny Manuel. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.